I'm Pastor Jeff. I'm not one of the five teaching pastors at the LifePoint campuses, but I call myself a Bible teacher, okay? And so it's really good to be with you uh, today. Pastor Corey has taken a well-deserved second week off in a row. And trust me, y'all get him back next Sunday because I'll be done today, okay? Um, and so um, what we want to talk about this morning is t today is the fourth and final service Sunday where we talked about our, our, our theme was ordinary people in scripture doing extraordinary things. And today we have an extraordinary person. And instead of it being an Old Testament character, we're going to go to the New Testament but before we go there, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 2. Isaiah, chapter 2. For, and if you don't have a Bible, paper Bible, you can turn your phones to Isaiah, chapter 2. And I don't know if you, how many of you like poetry, but a little Bible trivia fact. I don't know if you knew this or not, but 30% of your Bibles is poetry. 30%. And so those of you that like poetry, this is a good one. Isaiah chapter 2. And this is a poem, and obviously it's about the future. And this is, this is written by... Of course, it's Isaiah, and the way that his name is pronounced in Hebrew, and y'all know me by now, if you were here last Sunday, I'm going to throw some Hebrew stuff out, I'm going to throw a little Greek out, and if you don't like that, tough, because I'm going to just do it anyway, okay? Um, his name pronounced in Hebrew is Eshahu, and I think it's much more fun to say that way. Eshahu, Benamotes, Isaiah, the son of Amos. And I want you to look at the, at the poem, Isaiah 2. It shall come to pass in the latter days. So obviously, this is a poem about the future. That the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. And all the nations shall flow to it. Now, mark that in your memory bank, all the nations. And many peoples, mark that in your memory bank shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge between, there it is again, the nations, and shall decide disputes between many peoples. Now, here's the part that might be familiar to some of you that really know your Bible's Old Testament well. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Obviously, we know by now that this is a poem about the age to come. And people from every nation are happily going to submit to God being the king of the universe one day. And one of the best parts about the poem is the fact that weapons, weapons that have been manufactured to make war are going to be transformed into tools for farming, 
for the production of food. More than enough food for everyone, you guys, is this future reality. So now I want you to fast forward 700 years and I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15. Fast forward from Eshahu's poem to Matthew chapter 15. Y'all turning there? Want to hear those pages turning? I can't hear your phones doing it, but I want to hear the pages turning. Matthew 15. I want to start at verse 21. I'm going to read Matthew 15, 21, 22. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. So we've got Jesus crossing this border, going into a region. He's leaving Israeli territory, and he's going into Gentile territory, and we've got this Canaanite woman, and you know what's interesting in this story is Matthew doesn't give us her name, but what he says about her is she's identified by her nationality. She's definitely not a Jew, and she's crying She's calling out. Now, when we see this word crying, it doesn't mean that there's tears running down her face crying. It means that she's calling out and she's calling, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely or cruelly oppressed by a demon. And so we've got this woman from a non-Jewish people group. She's this Canaanite a pagan, idolatrous, multiracial people, a nemesis of Israel, the Canaanites were, and we've got this woman who's appealing to Jesus for help. And clearly, clearly, this results from her having some knowledge. She has to have some knowledge of Judaism, and she also has to have some knowledge of Jesus' notoriety that has spread from out of the region of Capernaum and, and, and Galilee and, and into this Canaanite Gentile region. And she's heard enough about him that she seeks him out and she calls out to him. But look in the next verse, Matthew 15, 23, but he did not answer her a word, period. Now that's strange, right? He didn't answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him saying, send her away for she is crying or calling out after us. Now two things here. Is this stone-cold, silent Jesus consistent with the Jesus that's portrayed throughout the Gospels? I mean, absolutely not. So obviously, something's going on in this story. And who is it that breaks the silence? It's the disciples. And the disciples say, send her away. So we've got Jesus' inconsistent behavior. He answered her not a word. And then we've got the disciples going, send her away. And it's kind of their default. 
You say, what do you mean by that? Well, go back one chapter, chapter 14, and look at verse 15, Matthew 14, 15. And we got a feeding story here. You all know it, the fish and the loaves. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate wilderness place, and the day is now over. What do they say? Send the crowds away. So in that feeding story, that first feeding story, Matthew 15, send the crowds away. Now to the Canaanite woman, send her away. And so it just, it's totally inconsistent, the behavior. Jesus, stone cold, but not inconsistent with the disciples. They're like, send her away. Look at verse 24, back in Matthew 15, 24, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house or the family or the children of Israel. Now that's interesting because first we've got silent Jesus and now we've got cryptic Jesus. Kind of like, come on, Jesus, couldn't you be a little more clear here? Is it the disciples or is it the woman that he's responding to? Well, that's interesting because it's really hard to tell. And I think it's both. I think it's an answer to the disciples who were begging him to send her away. I also think that in the very next verse, with that very next verse beginning with the conjunction, but she came. But she came. Verse 25 says, she came, she bowed, she knelt before him, and she said, Lord, help me. Dang, what a prayer. Y'all ever been there to just to the point to where that's about all you can barely muster out is Lord Help me? Well, this is where this mother was. And it's interesting, too. She says, Lord, and that word is kyrdios, kyrdios. And it means, in the Koine Greek, it means Lord or it means master. Now, what's super interesting here is in this first century context, if you're addressing Jesus as Lord, as Master, as Curtios, then what you're saying in essence is Caesar Augustus is not Lord. Anytime you see that in the New Testament, Jesus is Lord, Jesus Curtios, Jesus is Master, that's what you're saying. You're saying in essence, Caesar, you're not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And notice what he answers in verse 26. It is not right or proper to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Dogs? I mean, really, Jesus? Did you just call this broken, this courageous, this humble, this astute woman who respectfully referred to you as Lord, as son of David, did you just call her a dog? No, it's a parable. It's a parable. And that word 
Dog is literally little dogs. Little dogs. It's the word that we get canine for or from. Little dogs. That dogs is being a metaphor. Jesus giving her a parable. And what he's saying is, if I were to help you at this time, that would be like me taking the children, or the family's bread, and throwing it to the little dogs. So let's stop right there. When in Matthew's gospel did the children, did the family, get bread given to them by the master, by the son of David? Well, we just referred to it earlier. It's in Matthew chapter 14. We've got the feeding story to where there's 5,000 of the children of the family, not including women and children who received bread and look what it says in Matthew 14, verse 20. And they all ate and were satisfied. But I remember, and you remember, Eshahu's poem. Eshahu's poem. Where he read in his poem or wrote in his poem, all nations, many people are going to come to Jerusalem the capital of the age to come. And they're going to beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And it's that age to come to where Yahweh, the king of the universe, is going to rule and going to reign the world and there's going to be more than enough food for everyone. That's, that's the vision for the future, right? Or is it only limited to the future? Because look back in Matthew 15, verse 27. She said, yes, Lord. There's that term, curios, again. Yes, Lord. Yet, even the little dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Whoa. If this were a tennis match and Jesus just threw it up and served... She volleys back. She volleys back. She womans up. Because I think womaning up is better than manning up in this story right now. She womans up. And she doesn't accept Jesus' parable. She says, yes, Lord, yet. Okay. If we're the little dogs, if us Gentiles, if us, us multiracial people groups, if we're the little dogs in your parable, then let us in on the meal too. She turns this parable right back on him. And so we go from silent stone cold Jesus to cryptic Jesus and then maybe a little snarky Jesus and, and, and how, how do we get where we're at in this next verse? Because what Jesus says in verse 20, then Jesus answers her. And I know we don't have tone in the scripture, but I think Jesus answered her because this is a term of endearment. This is an affectionate term. He says, oh, woman. Oh, woman. He says, Great. Megalay, Megalay. 
It's a word we get mega. Great is your faith. He says to her, be it done for you as you desire. And boom, whammo, schwammo, and her daughter was healed instantly. Now wait a minute. How do we go from stone cold silent Jesus, cryptic Jesus, snarky Jesus, to to how do we get to this affectionate, miracle-granting Jesus? Well, consider this. Up to this point in Matthew's gospel, Jesus' primary focus of mission, his ministry has been to the children in the present. And he's come to terms with his vocation. He knows, he understands that he's Israel's Messiah with all of its present implications. But yet he's also so soaked. And we forget about this about Jesus. Jesus is so soaked with the Hebrew Bible. He knows it like the back of his hand. He knows it from right to left. He knows Ishahu's poems. He knows all 66 books of Isaiah. And he knows that those 66 chapters, they've got this heavy emphasis on the future, on the age to come, like we read in that poem in our beginning of the teaching. And somehow, this ordinary Canaanite woman, she's in on the story too. She not only sees Jesus as her Lord, she sees him as her Messiah, but not just a future Messiah. She sees him as her Messiah now. What else would lead her to reply, yes, Lord, yet if we non-Israelites are the little dogs in the story, well, we have a right to be fed too, right? She saw something in him, and Jesus knew it. And through him employing this traditional Jewish rabbinical teaching techniques, and oh, I wish I had time to go into into the rabbinical teaching techniques, but he brings out of her this great megala, this mega faith. And so that's the end of the story. Good story? Great story. But it gets better. Because not only does the Canaanite woman's daughter get healed, but let's read on. Look in Matthew chapter 15, verse 29. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and he sat down there. Great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put him at his feet and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And who did they glorify? The God of Israel. The God of Israel. Just so there's no misunderstanding, if Matthew has some Gentile readers in this gospel, and he's telling the story about this this healing going on in in non-Gentile territory, He's making sure that the readers understand it was the God of Israel. Not other gods that you've worshipped, but Israel's God who gets the glory by Jesus doing these miracles through. So there's 
healing for everyone, and then the story keeps going. Look at verse 32. Jesus calls his disciples to him and says, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and they have nothing to eat and I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, where are we going to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed such a crowd? Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? They said seven. Deja vu, right? Deja vu. Deja vu. And the scripture goes on to say, and they all ate and were satisfied. That's Matthew 15, 37. All ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces that were left over. Seven basketfuls. And in this carved up region that this, this Canaanite woman lives in, there are seven major cities in this region, and they take up seven basketfuls. And over in the first feeding story, in Matthew chapter 14, verse 20, it says, and they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up how many basketfuls? How? Twelve. You get it? Twelve. How many tribes of Israel are there? Twelve. West side, twelve basketfuls. East side, across that border, seven basketfuls. Seven Canaanite cities. Bread for everyone. Eshahu's poem coming true. The age to come It's breaking in into the present. Israel's Messiah is giving bread to the nations. All people are getting bread. And I ask you this morning, who was the door? Who was the door or the hinge upon which the door swung open? It was the Canaanite woman. And she has it in her head that Jesus of Nazareth is her Lord Now, not in the age to come, but now. And even though she lives in a region that's carved up by ethnic and political and religious boundary lines, she sees Jesus for who he is, that he is the Messiah, like Eshahu's poem to the nations. And through boldness, she approaches Jesus and she gets into his presence and she says, how about some of that age to come now? And she doesn't take no for an answer until Jesus brings that future age into the present here and now. And I'm convinced that Matthew is telling us today, church, this is what discipleship looks like. It's this Canaanite woman that has, is anonymous. We don't know her name, but she is the model disciple in this story. And so how can this story apply to us today? Apparently, apparently there's ways that the kingdom of God is meant to invade from the future back into the present. And there are things, though, that Jesus won't do until his disciples come to him boldly and persistently and ask him to be who they know that he is.
And this Canaanite woman, she says, in essence, Jesus, yes, you're the Lord of the, uh, of the nations. She goes, I know that you're the Lord of the children, got it, but you're also the little dogs as Lord too. And he enters into a dialogue and he draws this great faith out of this woman. And what's his answer? His answer is absolutely, absolutely. But it, not until she had to participate in how it happens. And y'all remember the feeding story. Well, both of them. Jesus took the bread. He blessed the bread. He broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples so that they could participate in the feeding stories. This Canaanite woman participated. And I believe that Matthew is presenting this is a picture of what a true disciple of Jesus looks like. And once I understood this story... How God used this ordinary anonymous woman to do these extraordinary feats through, it has revolutionized my prayer life and it has redefined my definition of biblical faith. Look, you guys, I'm not, a, I'm not a psychologist. I'm a teacher of the Bible. But I think I understand this woman's logic. Look, her circumstantial reality was grim. And her daughter was severely possessed by a demon. Yet in the back of her mind, Yeshua's age to come poetry, it offered hope. It offered a future age to where there's no more death, there's no more disease, there's no more demon possession. And rather than settle for that being someday out there in the future, when Yahweh returns and ushers in new creation, she recognized in Jesus, she recognized both the present and the future in him, that Jesus of Nazareth is Israel's Messiah, and the closer in proximity to him she came, the more she began to rationalize. Now, don't miss this. The more she began to rationalize, since it's going to happen how about some of that now? You guys getting this? It's going to happen. It's going to happen out here in the age to come. How about some of that now? How about some of that now, Jesus? And so her faith calls the future into the present. She says, Jesus, going to happen it's going to happen. New creation is going to happen. We know as a church today that when Jesus appears, we know the Christians who have died, the dead in Christ, are going to rise and they're going to get new creation bodies, right? And we which are alive and remain, our broken bodies, at least speaking for me, yours may not be broken. Mine feels a little broken on occasions. It's going to be transformed. It's going to be changed. And her faith. How about, how about now? How about some of that now? How about some of that future reality now? And so now when I pray, when I pray for and I pray over Christians... 
people that have broken bodies, I latch on to this Canaanite woman's faith. And I say to Jesus, look, Jesus, you're their Lord. You're their Lord now. And their bodies are going to be made new someday. It's going to happen. So how about some of that new creation now, Jesus? And I allow Jesus to define what success looks like when it comes to those prayers and how he wants to answer those prayers. And I'm going to close with this. This Canaanite woman, to me, she has redefined what faith looks like for me. And out of her story, here's my definition. The definition of biblical faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, has a great definition of faith. But there's my definition of biblical faith. Living in the present, despite our circumstances, as if the future new creation has already arrived. Ain't that good? Got that out of this Canaanite woman's story. Living in the present despite our circumstances as if new creation has already arrived. That, I think, is the definition of biblical faith And when you add God to the mix, you're going to find that this is the definition that transforms ordinary faith into extraordinary faith. And so this morning, as you sat here, maybe you're not connected to one of our life teams at the Plain City campus. Maybe you've not decided that it's your time to volunteer to become a life team member. You know, we've got teams that could use help. We've got parking teams. We've got security teams. We've got connections teams. We've got kids ministry teams. We've got junior high. We've got high school. You want teams? We got teams. And we need all y'all, everybody volunteering, everybody serving, serving others, because one of our core values here at Life Point Church is personal ministry. And you don't have to have a resume this long to become a life team member. And you don't have to have theological degrees to be a life team member. All you have to do is be like this Canaanite woman. Ordinary woman. Don't even know her name. One day, I'm going to get her name. (laughs) One day, I'm going to find Matthew, and I'm going to say, Matthew, where is she? Because dang, she really changed my life down here. It wasn't a man that did it. It wasn't one of the 12 that did it for me. It's this woman who did it for me. I love me some strong women. I'm married to one that I love. Guys, 
We need you to serve. We need you to be a member of a life team. So consider a Sunday a month, maybe two Sundays a month. We'd love to have you. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, man, uh, you are so good. The way that you drew faith out of this, this Canaanite woman, the way you went about it. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your patience with us. I thank you, Lord, that when anyone with an open mind to you, towards you, or anyone with a seeking mind, Lord, never turned them away. You always met them where they are. And you said to them, absolutely, let me do that for you right now. And so, Lord, I ask you today to meet the needs. Lord, you fed, Lord, multitudes on both sides. Everyone got bread, God. And I pray, Lord, give us this day our bread, the daily. Give us this day our bread. Forgive us our trespasses and sins as we forgive those who trespass and sin against us, Lord. Lead us not into the test, but deliver us from evil. For thine, Lord, is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.